this is the challenge with having more than one piece of a technology that you have an account for. When you log out of yep. one, you log into the other, it cuts you off of that one. And it, oh, it's just a yeah. Thing. And Zoom, Zoom's gotten real f finicky with all their settings. Now that they're public and all this privacy stuff, they're trying to figure out. It's crazy. I know, but I'll tell you one thing, the, the leader of that group, corporate, and yeah, they've had their hiccups. I mean, if you look at what they did from the beginning of this year to now, it is amazing how oh, they've really done what they've done. And I mean, and still, I mean, I realize it's a pain with some of the things they're doing, but just, gosh, it's, I'm, I'm amazed they haven't had more problems. And oh, got, 100%. And he is so customer facing. He, he really, he takes it all on himself as this is my fault. I shouldn't, you know, we should have done a better job. And totally. It's really great seeing somebody like that in a company. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You got any fun plans for the weekend? Uh, I'm playing golf tomorrow, so that'll be one thing. And we'll, we'll nice. hit pretty hard in a few minutes. Um, yeah, where, where are you playing? Our local course, uh, okay. our country club here. And it's, it's a, it, it, I don't know if you've ever heard of Tift Turf before. Um, I have, yep. Well, that started here in Tifton. Okay, yep. So, um, you know, Augusta National is carpeted with Tift Turf. So yep, yep. it used to be uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium had TIFF turf in it. Um, they've, they've got a new thing called TIFF tough Bermuda, which actually holds up a little bit better for sports fields like soccer and football. And yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Um, but like literally a half a mile from here is probably one of the most valuable yards in the entire world. And it looks like a patchwork quilt of mess because you know, he tried a patch of this grass over here and a patch of this grass over here. Yeah. <laughs> work out right, you know. Yeah. And, testing uh, everything. Yeah. And a friend of mine used to own that yard, used to own that house. And it's, he's had the roughest time trying to get the grass. In fact, it was two doors down from where Becca grew up. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, that was that close to a billion dollar yard, you know, and it looked like somebody had, looked like back of my yard right now, which is just. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Really cool. That's awesome. So, I'm, yeah. I'm playing golf. I, um, other than that, I've got a, a group I'm facilitating on Sunday for uh, a study group for vision source. They're from all awesome. over the country. That's, that's, yep. kinda, I enjoy doing that. that's awesome. That's How awesome. about you? What do you, you got planned? Actually, my wife and I are, we're heading up or down to Atlanta. We're going to play golf. We're actually staying tonight at Chateau Elan, just outside of Atlanta. So we're yep. gonna play play there. And then I've got a friend in Atlanta who's a member at the Town and Country Club. Um, I figure it up in Buckhead. So we're gonna play there on Sunday and then head home. So wow. a little fun golf adventure. You guys are hardcore. Yeah, it's, it, we both, my wife and I both have the bug right now. It's, uh, I played three rounds this week, you know, and I'm, we, we're doing a fundraiser for Hyatt on Monday that I'm playing this like awesome course. and. And then a week, the following week, I uh, have PTO plan. We're going up to Sand Valley, which is like this amazing, like the people that made Bandon just did a similar Bandon Dunes up in Wisconsin called Sand Valley. Right. And I have a buddy. He was the main photographer for the U.S. Open this year and the USGA amateur. So he's super connected in that world. And he's getting paid to do this gig in Sand Valley. So we're getting everything paid for and uh, going up and like just going to be models for him. So, and like, not like our faces, but just like they're shooting a bunch of stuff, like sunset stuff or content for Sand Valley. So it should be fun. That's really cool. Now, how long have you been playing for real? Since May. 
Wow. Yeah. So I picked it up, you know, my wife grew up playing. Yeah. She grew up in Southern Oregon, small town. um, And that was like the only thing to do. So they did it. And then we bought clubs probably third year of marriage. And I used them like three times. And she's been like trying to get me back into playing. And I was just like, golf is, I mean, I love to watch it, but it's just like so boring. Like I couldn't, I could never play 18, you know, just this whole like, and honestly, probably when I, like 10 years ago, I couldn't have, you know, I'm just, I'm different now um, to a degree. And so I just got COVID. I was going stir crazy being at home and needed some outlet other than just running. And uh, so did it. And there's a course five minutes from us. So we joined the, joined the club like five minutes from us. And um, it's been one of the best things we've ever done. It's been so heat. Like we've gone through a lot in our marriage this year. Like we had uh, miscarriage and after we were told we would never be able to get pregnant. And so there was this whole thing. It's just been, it's been a really healing thing for us. And so um, I will look back on co- at COVID through the lens of golf, which will be a, a positive thing, hopefully a decade from now. So here's yeah, there's one more thing you and I apparently, unfortunately have in common is infertility issues. Yeah. Uh, both of my boys are in vitro baby and okay. Um, but fortunately God bless us with twins that made it a little yeah. easier. Yeah. Uh, but you know, just the, you know, everybody always asks me, you know, do twins run in your family? I go, no, but they do at our doctor's office. <laughs> Another conversation up, but yeah, I mean, we struggled with that for years and it was painful watching friends of ours get pregnant, no problem at all and have a second yeah. child, no problem at all. And we're struggling totally. to, think about it yeah it's hard because you want to be joyful for them but there's also just this part where it's so hard and you know and at the end of the day you you love them and you're joyful but it it also is painful you know that was that was tough my sister um who lives there there in franklin um she you know was having children when we were trying to have children and you know it was hard It, it i don't know that i mean she knew probably something was going on with our relationship but she didn't know what it was and it wasn't fair to her that I didn't have those conversations with her about it, you know, and totally. Well, they're hard to have. I mean, I had similar things with my cousins, you know, that I I was close with and you just like, you kind of, you know, out of self-protection you avoid, you know, and, and it's easy to look back and be like, Oh yeah, that was like totally immature of me or not, not immature is not the right word, but not healthy, you know, unhealthy. Right. Um, To, but it's hard in the moment for sure. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings, and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. On episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, 
there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight one-day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear one-days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice not fear of the disease associations with myopia is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. This is Ted McElroy, and I'm really excited today to have a uh, very wonderful acquaintance of mine, Mr. Chad Cannon. He works with Michael Hyatt and Company. Y'all have heard me talk about Michael Hyatt and Company with a group that I'm doing called the Business Accelerator Program. A shout out for my group, Seven Peeps. Uh, I've been doing this for about a year, and it has truly made a big difference in my business, not just, well, actually, not just my business, my personal life, too. Um, I've, I've looked at things way differently and a lot of that has to do right back to a conversation that I had a little over a year ago with our uh, guest today, Chad Cannon. Chad, thanks for being with me today. I really appreciate this. Ted, I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm excited to, to be with you and just uh, go down the journey that we're going to go down here over the next uh, few minutes. Thank you. I told, every, I told everybody that I've ever had on this thing, and I've told you too, that we'll start off with a topic, and then somewhere along the way, we'll make a wrong turn, and we'll end up in Albuquerque or something like that, but it'll be great. Those, uh, those are the best. That's right, I, and I love the freeform kind of stuff. So again, I want to go back a little bit, and you're not going to remember because you have hundreds of these phone calls a year, but you and I had a phone conversation about uh, this program that I'm doing with you guys, and mm -hmm. you know why it was important that I do that, and what made sense and just the the ability because I think what happens a lot of times in in our businesses is that we don't start looking at things from the the guest problem as much mm -hmm. we just try mm -hmm. to figure out that disease but we don't dig down into what's really happening so when you're going through a conversation with a client potential client on, mm -hmm. on this type of thing um, how do you deal with some of their price objections to what the solutions that you can give them are? Great question. Um, and I, and I vaguely remember our conversation. Uh, I think, you know, we had, there, there's some conversations you always remember with customers, you know, and I, I actually not just vaguely, but vividly remember uh, our time together. And I, that first time we spoke, uh, I know that, you know, I could tell, that this program would be revolutionary for you and your business and ultimately your personal life, which I'm sure we're going to get into some of that. And, you know, you have to be a good listener, you know, first and foremost, you got to be a really good listener. And I could tell there are sometimes, you know, I'm sure as a business owner or someone, whether you're in sales, you're in marketing and you're talking to a potential customer or a client, if you are a good listener, you're going to under, you're going to un like uncover and discover ways that you can solve a problem for people at a profit. That's ultimately, that's what business is. You're helping solve a problem for someone at a profit. If you're not, you know, if you're not solving problems at a profit, you, you aren't going to have a business very long. And uh, which means you got to understand those people's problems. And then you have also have to understand 
what is unique about what you offer, you know, and in, you know, in the eye doctor world, uh, some of that is very, you know, black and white. It's like, hey, here's the problem and here's how we're going to solve it, whether it's a, you know, a surgery or jumping in and, you know, providing an alternative solution than just glasses or contacts um, or a, a certain version of contacts based on what's going on in their eyes, you know, things like that. So you've got to be educated about what their problem is and then also your solution. And I'm sure, you know, your solutions are typically a lot more complex than the solution maybe that I'm offering because it's a singular product and you kind of have multiple paths that you're going down. But I say first, you got to, you know, I think be a good listener, understand your product and how you can transform, but then also um, to discover the problem. Because if you don't know the problem, you're never going to be able to offer the right solution. So, you know, how do you deal with that individual where they say, well, but my problem is unique. Mm -hmm. yeah, did, that, did that happen in our conversation? No, no, it didn't. But I, but I, <laughs> but I hear that from mm -hmm. guests in my office. I hear that from colleagues of mine when they're mm -hmm. asking for advice or, you know, I'm hearing them from asking someone else advice. They go, Oh no, but you don't understand. It's different in my practice. Yep. I would say 80% of business owners that ultimately join business accelerator. And this isn't a, a you know, like a promotion for business accelerator is that very thing is that as a small business owner that's doing, you know, between a million and $10 million, here's why my business is unique. And can you really um, help me? And like, that, they don't say that, but what they're really saying, like what I would say is my problem is unique is this is how I coach our sales team now is that they're not actually asking whether their problem is unique. What they really want to know is, will this work for me? They are, they're not going to say that come out and say that, so we've got to have solutions to say why this is going to be personal to you. And you also have to overcome that objection in the way that um, like I, sometimes if they ask me, it's like, I just laugh. But well, I had that conversation with three other people and here's the transformation that they've had, you know, and if you, you can really uh, sell with story, you know, or not even you don't even have to see it as selling. But I'm sure all of you listening to this, you've probably had someone say that to you and you probably have. Uh, examples of where you've overcome and you've delivered great value and have a really powerful transformation story where you're like, yeah, yeah, that was, you know, Larry down the road. That's when he, when he came in, this was his situation. This is what he told me. And now here's what Larry's doing. He's flourishing. He's got his eyesight back. He's, you know, and I'm sure with eyesight, there's a confidence factor, you know, is that the more, like there's a, like that, and that's a transformation you want people to have is you're going to be confident that you can, you know, depending on your work, you're going to be a better employee. You might be able to like go like I, right now, like I'm, we talked before, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like big into golf and like, I've, I've actually had my eyes checked recently, but like there are some distances that I'm like, I just lost the ball. Like, are my eyes going bad? Do I need to go check? Like, there's one of those things that's like, man, maybe my eyesight isn't as good as I thought it is. Maybe I need to actually get a stronger prescription so I can enjoy the game more, you know? And so uh, like, I would pay a lot of money to get, to figure that out pretty quickly. Well, maybe it's just the fact that you can hit the ball so far. You just can't see that far. Maybe that's the problem. That's not my problem yet. I promise <laughs> that is not my problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, know, you and I have a love for golf and your, your love of golf has been relatively new. Mine, unfortunately has been very old. I've been playing since I was 12 years old and at the risk of almost getting a little bit blue on this podcast, I'm going to keep us from getting an explicit ranking or anything, but uh, there was a, a, a humorist that wrote for the Atlanta Journal many years ago named Louis Grizzard, who passed away. He's great humorist, wrote all that. He loved playing golf, but he had a phrase that I, has rung true for me a lot. And it's made me actually enjoy golf because he says, golf is a lot like sex. You don't have to be very good at it to have a good time. <laughs> so, 
that's basically been my philosophy in golf for most of my life, but it's gotten to a point lately where it's become frustrating. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I played golf last weekend with about nine friends of mine in Myrtle beach. We played it through different courses the weekend before I was playing at our local course and I was just totally frustrated. I went out to the driving range, hit five balls beautifully and everything fell apart from there. I had mm -hmm. been talking to our pro about getting lessons for months and I walked into the pro shop and I said to Medford, the guy that works the pro shop, I said, Hey, is Chris here? And he goes, well, he's supposed to be here. It's eight 30. So, but he's not. And I said, well, all right. So I'll hit some more balls. He still wasn't there. I just said, I'm just going to go play. So I go out and play mm -hmm. terrible round, come back at the end. And I walk into the pro shop and I, Chris is there. And I said, Hey man, I, I know I was going to make time to, for lessons, but I didn't. And that's my fault. But is there any way sometime real soon that you can just maybe just tune me up a little bit because I want to have a good time this week with these guys. I get rattled about a lot of other stuff anyway. I don't need them to talk about my golf too. Yeah. So, okay. Sometime this week I said, well, actually tomorrow. He goes, well, I don't, I don't work tomorrow. I said, well, okay. He said, how about now? And I go, I just walked 18 holes and I'm frustrated. You think now's the best time. And he, um, I really think you should consider this. And I go, I'll tell you what, I got a hamburger in the snack bar. I'll eat that and I'll come back if I'm ready. So I walked back mm -hmm. in and I said, yeah, I'll get my sticks. So I went out to my car, got my shoes back on, put my clubs back on, walked out to the thing. He shows up with a stick and a, this bag he calls a uh, smash bag. And for the next hour, he had me just hit like seven balls and rate it. And then he made literally a move of the ball back in my stance about four inches. And immediately, miraculously, I'm hitting the ball straight. In fact, I thought I had a slice, which is for those of you who don't play golf, a ball that goes off to the right. As soon as I move this ball back to the middle of my stance, it's hooking to the left. And yeah. he said, the deal is you hit the ball where you swing the club. Mm -hmm. There were two things I got out of that lesson. First, incremental growth. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And the other part is your focus of where things go when you're actually mm -hmm. addressing those things. So, mm -hmm. you know, the lesson I got was, and I get this a lot of times from patients. Um, wait a minute. That's all you're going to do. I mean, I could have, I could have thought of that. Well, my question to them is always, well, if you could have thought of that, why are you sitting in my chair asking me to fix this problem? Mm -hmm. That was yep, a thing yep. Chris. Mm -hmm. And I actually gave him a, a lot more for the lesson than he asked me to pay him because it made that much difference for me. Yep. So incremental growth in business, how does that sort of pertain to our lives? Yep. That's a great, um, you know, a great example of, you know, coaching, coaching in general, but the reality is, is someone that has been further than you and that is an expert and a master at something. And for him, that was knowledge he just had in his brain and that you just don't have access to, you know, similar to probably everyone listening here, you have access to stuff that people don't have access to. And um, I love like one of the things I've loved about golf and going to get golf lessons is I feel that every time I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I could have never done that on my own, but it was so small. How come I couldn't do that on my own? But I felt the same way. I was like, this guy is like, I would be paying him three times what he just taught me. Cause like my enjoyment level of the game just went through the roof because of that one fix. Like there's nothing more beautiful than like hitting that pure shot, you know, great, you know, great club strike and all of that. Like, that's just, it's amazing. 
Um, but incremental growth, you know, it's, it's just similar to like investing. You know, you start small, but ultimately as you start small and over the years, it becomes exponential. And it's never too late to start seeing that incremental growth. And I know when, since I've started playing golf, that has been one of the things that's been like super challenging to me and actually has me look at so many things in life that way. My marriage, the way I lead my team, like it doesn't have to do this big aha, but it's little small increments of growth. that's really powerful. And what I also like, one of the things that we coach people on and we talk about internally here at Michael Hyde and company, and that is a limiting belief that a lot of people have is I've got this problem you know, maybe this problem is like eating you up and you're losing sleep over it. It's, it's months in your business and you feel like, I don't have a, I don't know how to solve it. This problem just keeps coming up. It could be a staffing problem. It could be um, about hiring, you know, a, a, a successor. It could be about some type of software. You feel like you need to create efficiencies in your business. But what we do is ultimately the human nature goes to how, like the what, how do we fix it? And it's more of a what problem. And the reality is it's not what we say is it's not a what problem, it's a who problem. There is someone that has gone before you and figured out what you are trying to accomplish. Sure, you, might, you could take six to nine months to figure it out, or you could reach out to your network and say, hey, here's a problem I'm having. Do you know anyone that has solved this problem? So for example, this morning, coming back to golf, sorry, this is like my life right now. Um, my wife, we're getting ready to go on a golf trip two weeks from now and we're gonna be up, be up in Wisconsin. And so there's, she's looking for cold like layers basically to, to stay warm while we're playing. And everything she's found here, um, she doesn't really like, she's been ordering stuff and you know, all of that. But she's fallen in love with this like warm thing that she's seen uh, an influencer share online. And sure enough, it's, it's a FootJoy product, but it's only available in the UK. So she tried to buy it and you can't ship it to from from the uk to the us it's all licensing stuff so i'm like i told her i said they're like i was walking out the door this morning i said there has to be a like someone has figured this out mm -hmm. so there has to be some type of solution where you can actually get a uk address ship it there and they'll ship it to the us there may be a, you know so five minutes later she sends me a text and she and i'm out the door heading to the office and she goes reship.com and it's going to cost us like an extra ten dollars but she's going to get what she wants and she like she had given up she had, like just you know i was like just go just just search it you know like that's a super simple thing but there's so many examples in our business where um we're looking to develop an app next year uh for funny enough business accelerator and we were in a meeting our strategic planning and the idea came up and everyone was like i don't we don't know no we don't have any expertise on an app and i'm like well in my previous life i that's what i did at my agency i've got someone that is great and we just they had they came into town and all the stuff, the limiting beliefs that were like, we just can't do this ourselves. It was just so impactful. And it's about, it's more about the who than the what. And sometimes you need to really stop thinking about the what, think about the who to not only just have incremental growth, but then turn that incremental growth into exponential growth, similar to investing, like I talked about earlier. I'm going to need you to do something to explain to our audience what a limiting belief is. And this is something that we probably intuitively know, but we haven't quite put the label to this one. And, and I'll have to say, I really hadn't thought much about this either until I was sitting in Franklin back in last September, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. so, uh, so talk about that for a moment, Chad. Yeah. Well, that, it, that's a heavy, it could be a heavy thing, but really a limiting belief is something and it could be a short-term thing but mo more than likely it's a long-term thing it is a belief that kind of is under the surface of why you can't do something is typically how that comes out is 
there are things that are going on and it could be because of how you were raised, you know, like some people, uh, if you were raised blue collar and now you're running this very successful business, you've got a limiting belief of what is possible um, on the business like that. And so there's this limiting belief, potentially it could be a comment that a teacher told you growing up, um, or it could just be something every day. Like I'm trying to think of a limiting belief that I have um, like right now. Um, I, I am leading a team bigger than I've ever led before, both people, both in revenue. And there is part of me that is wondering with, with a vision that we have as a company 10 years from now, do I have what it takes to lead that because I've never been there before? And that's a limiting, and if, if I allow that to come in and not have me be creative and resourceful, like even thinking about the who versus the what, like if I start to, like a question we always ask that help overcome a limiting belief is what would have to be true to make this happen? So, you know, we're looking at 10Xing the revenue in the division that I'm in. Two years ago, this thing didn't exist. And now we're, you know, an eight figure part of the business. And we're looking at 10Xing that. And I've never done that before. It'd be real easy to be like, check out. But like, I, I want to be the one leading us and getting us there. So who do I need to be learning from? And um, so, like, and what would have to be true for that to happen? And so then I just start writing out, like, what would have to be true? And that's a question. Every time you kind of bump up against something you feel you can't do, that is a question that will get your mind working and just start writing down your first thoughts. And sometimes it takes, it takes two or three weeks to really kind of have the aha and the breakthrough or enough time to be writing down what would have to be true that it's like, oh, I, that's all possible. You know, especially when you put it all together and then you really chunk it out. I know we're going to talk about a sabbatical uh, here too coming up. And I know that is a question that I had to ask when I did my sabbatical and even as a company, how that we're doing that from a culture standpoint. Yeah. I mean, you know, that is kind of a, that's been a limiting belief of mine on doing sabbaticals. Um, in fact, I've, I'm, I hope I'm approaching it in the right way. And for those of you who don't understand a sabbatical, because it's not really commonplace, I think in eye care to do this sort of thing, but it, it basically is, taking an extended time away, not just a week off for vacation, but an extended mm -hmm. time away from your business to focus on yourself and maybe even spend some time focusing on the business to a certain extent. Although you guys, I think have a little bit different kind of twist on that, which we'll touch on, but allowing you to sort of get that love back uh, that you have mm -hmm. for your business and for your profession. And because of this extended time. So you just did your very first sabbatical. Um, mm -hmm after and sort of so walk me through how that looks at Michael Hyatt and company how do you guys approach that what what's the idea behind it that whole thing absolutely so I get this so just a little bit of background to me I've been an executive in the publishing industry and then I had my own marketing agency you know that was you know seven figures plus tons of people I was the face of the agency now you know working for Michael and heading up um, first our marketing efforts and our sales efforts um, so I get this. This isn't just like an employee talking about a sabbatical and being like, hey, I'm entitled to a sabbatical because it's a company benefit. Um, I really try to come at it from what it means for you, the business owner, and ultimately what it can mean for your business. Um, you know, and so we have a we as part of our benefits package is as an employee, every three years you're with the company, you get a full 30 day sabbatical away from the business. And Michael, when he started the business 10 years ago, um, you know, he was super successful executive and, you know, helped build half billion dollar companies. Um, 
he said, when I leave and to start my own company, he goes, I want to take a month sabbatical every year. So every year of the business, and we have grown between 60 and 80% year over year for eight consecutive years in our business. Um, he has taken a full month sabbatical away from the business. And the business is Michael Hyatt and company. Um, and so he has taken a full month sabbatical. And so as part of that, um, we want to be able to reward our people for being, you know, from, and, and to create a culture of that. So every three years, you get a full month sabbatical. And so I just got done July um, this past year. I went on a 30-day sabbatical. And our goal um, in doing this is for people to really step away from the business um, and not do any work. Uh, and even when Michael takes a sabbatical, he won't read books about business. He won't read books about even leadership. It's literally to get away, refuel, recharge, reconnect. So part of it is he's reconnecting with Gail. They've been married almost a little over 40 years. Um, and so actually, no, it's more than that. Um, yeah, 40 plus years. And then, you know, do some hobby. He's a huge, huge into fishing. He's just recently picked up golf again. So I'm sure golf next year will be a big part of his sabbatical. Um, and we really want that for our team. And, you know, like a sabbatical isn't a sabbatical if you're going to go and think about the future and all of that. Like you really need your mind to be shut off. And so for me, about 10 days into the sabbatical, I had an identity crisis. I, you know, like we've got a four, four year old, almost four year old, and we were out in Oregon at my parents, at my in-laws. And it was the first time I like sat down for like three hours. I didn't have anything to do. Like I, be, it became like, I was bored. Um, I was like, I felt guilty that I wasn't doing something. And um, I got literally like, my wife was like, what's going on? And I was like, like, I literally like almost broke down. I was like, I don't have a purpose. Like, it just feels like right now I'm like, I'm, I, I just don't know what I want to do. And this wasn't like this. I don't love what I'm doing at work. It was literally like in the moment right now. Right. And Michael had told me a moment like this was coming in the sabbatical. I was like, oh no, like I've really prepared for this. Like I, that's not going to happen to me. He's like, you're going to, what it is, is you're addicted to work. I realized that my body was really having withdrawals from work and ultimately what work gave me and the false kind of sense of purpose just by kind of plowing my hands towards something versus actually taking the time to enjoy what was in front of me, which was my family and getting the opportunity to like just free my mind to refuel and recharge. And um, I can tell you, I wish that I would have done that on day two or three and gained an, an additional week of the sabbatical. Um, and so I would, you know, don't start with 30 days. Like if you if you feel like there's no way you could do 30 days is what I would say, like that question about what would have to be true, um, or, you know, to, to allow this to happen is start with seven days, go to two weeks, go to three weeks, and then go to four weeks, depending. But I would say it's possible. Here's one thing that um, when I stepped away, um, we have a tool that kind of helps people really kind of try to get everything out of their brain and um, think about like all the things that could go wrong that, you know, like, obviously you're not going to think of everything, but you're right. going to think of things like there were five or six things that my team knew if they happened, then they had the authority to, to loop me in on. But what, by me saying, Hey, if things don't happen, like these things don't happen um, or something similar to it, obviously, uh, then I want you to solve the problem. But there, you know, and for me, like ours is sales. So I said, Hey, if we're not at this sales number by the middle of the month, I want to know because like that's gonna do, we're way off and something needs to happen. 
that didn't happen. You know, like for example, um, like when Megan, our CEO left, um, it was, she, you know, our team's pretty big and she's like, one of her things was if someone from the executive team resigns, she wants to know. But if someone else from the team resigns, that's not gonna require her. So why, like that's gonna get her head back into work. So things like that, um, I felt like I had a really good plan. I had really delegated well to the team. And I can tell you, I didn't get interrupted. I did not get involved in work at all. And when I came back, um, I didn't have anything to clean up, uh, which was amazing. And I think that's a fear people have is that on the backside, it's going to be harder, but there's some work on the front end you got to figure out. But what's the biggest, like the biggest thing is that every one of my team members grew immensely over those 30 days. Um, they did things that they didn't think were possible. I, they did things I didn't think they were possible. You know, I saw growth. Um, the other thing that they did was they appreciated the work that I did do because they're like, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. You know, so they get a different perspective of what, what's on your plate, which that was a big aha for me. It's like, oh, yeah. Now, you know, when you're, you know, Thursday at three o'clock, you want me to do something and all the other things that are on my plate, you may not call and ask me to do that because you know the domino effect. You know, and so I think, and we feel that burden as leaders, business owners, um, and this allows you to allow your team to step up while you're away. And this is a lesson we have every year when we, we're done with sabbaticals, is we see people rise up in our company and take on, you know, new opportunity. And sometimes they don't have that chance otherwise, because they're just busy doing the work. Yeah. So you, you talk about preparing to leave, you have a tool, and I'm going to ask for permission at some point for you guys to give me something so I can share with our audience on that mm -hmm. one. Maybe that uh, vacation optimizer might be a good one to, to share with them. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we use. And I'm happy for you guys to, to share that out um, because it does take you, you know, the vacation optimizer is more initially for like two or three weeks, but the reality is we realized it worked for a sabbatical. So right. the vacation optimizer is a great tool. And I actually use that this year for my first vacation that surprisingly we got to take, you know, I really wasn't expecting this to take a vacation this year and got a chance to do it, but it was nice having that. The, the big mistake I made with it was not having my wife do one too. Mm -hmm. uh, get her input of what she thought a vacation should look like. And, you know, in, instead of, you know, just doing mine, but, but totally. it's nice preparing me to leave and telling people, you know, here's what the fire is and this is why you can contact me. But you said you didn't contact office for 30 days. I mean, you totally didn't. I mean, even through your existential crisis, you didn't pick up the phone and say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just, I'm suffering. I can't do this anymore. I mean, how, how did you get through that? Uh, first thing is before I left, I deleted Slack and email and everything from my phone. So that's, uh, you know, the crack cocaine we're all addicted to, let's be honest. Um, it's really easy to scroll and see the email and see if we're needed. Um, you know, that was a, a, a big thing. Um, and you know, like, honestly, I mean, for me, uh, because I know how hard I work, and I'm sure all of us feel this way about running our business, is that I knew I needed it. And that the moment, because like, I've done this in previous vacations, where it's like, oh, I'm just going to check in. And then that check in turns into, you know, problems, and then your head, like, like, I did not want to revert back to like, oh, my, my head is back in the business. And then that's going to take me three days to basically unwind from that anxiety to basically get back and enjoy. So 
um, obviously I, I had to stay busy. Like I'm a person that like, I not the type to just put my feet up and watch TV and enjoy. And so we had fun plans. I mean, I played 23 rounds of golf in 30 days um, with my wife. So that was fun. We got to see friends. Uh, we traveled across the country. Uh, we were planning on flying, but thanks to COVID, we ended up driving cross country and see, it gave us opportunity to see people we wouldn't have saw otherwise because um, we were from Nashville all the way to Oregon. And so kind of really made a fun road trip out of it and um, stayed busy. But really, uh, the other thing is, you, you, you know my assistant, like, is that I kind of gave her the freedom to, if she did see me do something, to like basically call me out on it, which didn't happen. So I, like there was accountability to it. Uh, and then two, um, knowing that if, it, if something met a certain threshold that I was going to be notified. And so if I wasn't being notified, like things are good, things are great. And we had, we had the best July we've ever had as a team. And so when I came back, I said, well, I'm going to be taking sabbatical for August too. So, but that, that didn't go over. Well, that is amazing. Okay. So you get into the sabbatical you go through this, you have this transformational process for your brain. You realize that it's okay to not be needed so badly and your team mm -hmm. But how do you now go from the 30 days being away to reintegrating yourself back in? And what's that first week look like when you finally come back to work? Yeah, that's a great, that is a great question. Because that is, a, I think, a fear a lot of people have is the overwhelming nature of what that week after is going to be like. You're like, oh, I'm just going to make up for the work that I didn't do over those last 30 days. Is So I had the team, um, and I forget the questions that I asked them. But I had the team kind of fill out a, a brief form. It was like really a one-page, two-page Google document where they shared kind of their three big wins of the month. Because I wanted them really thinking about, you know, hey, what did I do differently this month? Or like, what was, I wanted to be like, hey, what are you proud of about that you did this last month? What did you see come up in the business that you, th that you think are opportunities we should pursue in the future? Because each of them got a different lens into the business so I really wanted to leverage what I would call fresh eyes on things going on in the business that maybe I just see all the time and that I just take care of. So it was that. So really opportunities. Uh, third was, um, you know, what, what do you think I need to know about the last 30 days? And then what are the top like three to five things that you need me to take action on within the next two weeks? And what day is that? So that they did the work of, of basically like me doing a one-on-one -on -one with everyone I couldn't do like to then get back in but it was that like formulaic and that big thing was what are the things that you needed me to take action on and then Becca when I came back my assistant she had prioritized hey here are the 15 to 20 things that need to be done over the next two weeks and here's here's when I think you should do it um, and so honestly like that was super helpful um, because I didn't have to like wonder what was coming you know, because it was there when I got back and that was, that was super helpful, but that was work that had to be done on the front end. And then the team, then the team had to maybe spend an hour doing that. Um, and it was, it was great. And I, that first week was not stressed. I don't think I worked, you know, I think I worked 35 hours that week when I got back. So it wasn't like I came back to, you know, a ton of work that I had to, had to do. And we're, we're doing 38 hour work weeks right now. Um, and we've, we've transitioned into that as a company. So I still, I worked more than what our work week uh, would allow. Um, and, you know, some weeks we still, still have to do that because of the work that we do do. But those are seasons. Those aren't a lifetime Correct. forward, you know, and, yep. and 
all know we're going to go through these seasons of challenge and and a little bit of extra, but it's not, you know, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life kind of thing. And totally. Yep. What was the, what, what were one or two things that when you came back, I mean, I know you said you had a great July that, and you weren't there. So you realized they don't need you to do that, but what were two other things or one thing that really, this is what I came home with from this sabbatical. Wow. Um, I think without getting too emotional, um, you know, I've been in the, I guess, in my career and pursuing and trying to climb, you know, whatever ladder is there, I using that term, but I think everyone understands it when I say it, is that I have missed out on so many moments with my family in pursuit of what? And um, I still have that lens. So I can tell you, I probably had 50 chances to choose my job or my career over my family since I've gotten home in July. I have not been perfect, so I'm not, I, but I've probably chosen my family 40 times out of the 50. And if I were honest, five years ago, I would have chosen the family maybe 10 out of 50 times. So, um, you know, that like, and we have a culture that believes that when you choose your family, Granted, not at the expense of work. That's not what we're saying. Um, because like I said, the growth of our business has been you know, very big over the years. This isn't at the expense of growth. Like we would say, um, if there's not financial margin in the business, you're not going to have personal margin, you know, or it's going to be hard to have personal margin. Like that's just the reality as leaders and business owners. Um, but we have a culture that we want people, what we call the double win, to be able to win at work and succeed at life. And so we're militant about how we create our days and our weeks and our quarters so that we have, you know, what we say is constraints drive creativity. And if you've got constraints around the things that you're committed to, it'll, it allows you to have the freedom to step away. So like yesterday, I had something kind of go wrong in the morning uh, with my schedule um, and ended up having to like basically not have to, but chose to play golf with some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And I had the freedom to do that because I had built, you know, margin into my week to allow that to happen and then be able to still, you know, it served the, some of that served the business, but then also know, knowing from a culture that I had the ability to do that and then work to figure out like the rest of the hours per se. Um, and, but it's more about like we measure contribution, not hours worked. And so if I know that I am delivering the contribution and we talk about that as an executive team is that, um, when I know that I'm contributing, I can make decisions that are best for me. And when my, ha my family is right, then I'm going to be the best employee I can possibly be or the best leader I can possibly be. But when things aren't right at home, you know, there's friction between you and your spouse and it's elongated and it's typically, let's be honest, most of it is because the other person isn't being seen. Um, is typically what drives a lot of that. And the reason that person's not being seen is because one person is pursuing something that maybe is out of alignment to a degree. Like that's uh, speaking more personally and typically it's my, my fault. I'm pursuing typically more around my career and I have to kind of be brought back. And when, there's, when that happens, I'm not the best at work. Like there is nothing worse like, than an argument before I leave for the day because for three, the first three hours of the day, like that's, that's always going on the back of my mind. And nine times out of 10, it's my fault, you know? So, um, you know, it's important 
you know, that's why that's where we see is the, the long term effects of that double win of winning work and succeeding in life. We believe people are going to be better at work and we see it play out time and time again. The research supports it, everything. But yet when we when, when we see companies we help serve and businesses we serve and the cultures you see at companies, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it out. And you can tell pretty quickly whether people are living it out or not. And, um, you know, when you talk to people. One of the challenges that I've struggled with throughout probably my entire career has been this almost siloed mentality of separating my business and my life outside of yeah. my And, you know, I think that's part of the challenge that I think that we're trying to wrap our heads around, especially now, um, you know, and, and I heard somebody recently say, you know, that um, the, uh, the longer you have a conversation, the odds of getting, moving to a COVID conversation are approach one after about five minutes. <laughs> But, but the, um, the thing that I think that's happened, especially in COVID, is our families have become significantly more important to us. Not that they ever weren't important, but they're more, there's more of a focus on that family side of the situation. But yet, I can't afford to have what I have if I'm not working on my business. And totally. you know, that's, I think, the, the struggle that, that most of us all deal with, and probably you too, judging from the conversation you had about your, your shift and your focus of things. Um, how, how, do, how does one get beyond that? Totally. Yeah. So I, I talked about constraints driving creativity and I'll give you a kind of a, a really hard life example and a tool that we, we use called the ideal week. Um, this feels elementary and rudimentary, but it's not. And it's something I have to do on a quarterly basis is so we have a tool called a full focus planner that's a 90 day kind of executive level planner. Ted's probably talked about it. It's kind of the um, bedrock of what we do. And one of the first tools in that planner is an ideal week. And you talked about this earlier, Ted, like one of the things you wish you would have done is done a vacation optimizer with your, with your wife before doing it so you were on the same page. Is that this ideal week allows you to blend you, like you as the leader, like, so you have to first put the big rocks in, like obviously, you know, whatever hours you're gonna commit to seeing patients, for example, like those, you, you need to do that. Um, and then for me, we've got a, a young daughter at home and there's a couple days a week that I wanna be the one that gets her up and kind of gets her ready and have breakfast. And I have the freedom to kind of go into the office at 9.30. And so when we sit down as a family and say, hey, here's my ideal week, there are days like we days that I have an executive team. Like I, I got to be in the office early and I don't want to get up, like have my morning fractured. I want to mentally be there for that. So that's not a morning that I can actually help around the house. So then I start to say those, but to hear the other days that I can. And like, that has been revolutionary for us. Like, because she's brought in, like she, a lot of times we keep, like you said, we keep work and family separate, but it's like, how do we actually blend this together? And you know, you're the business owner you can create the reality that you want. And that's something that you kind of have to get over. Like what ends up happening is, you know, you do this for five years and you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna get in the office three hours early every day because I gotta catch up on the email because I can't do that while I'm seeing patients, you know? And like, what would have to be true to allow you to maybe start two days a week, enjoy coffee on the front porch with your spouse, take your kid to lunch that's, in, that's a teenager, you know, like 30 years, 20 years from now, I, I was in a Bible study recently and guy was talking about what he did for when his son turned 13 every week, he took them, took him out for lunch one day a week and just asked questions about his life. And that kid now is in his thirties 
and he was there and he was just in tears about what that meant to him. And I can tell you, like, when, if my kid says that when he's 30 and I'm however old, that'll be way more important and meaningful to me than, you know, taking a lunch meeting with someone else other than my son or my daughter. Um, and start dreaming about, like, what are the things, if you had three or four hours extra a week in your schedule, what would you want to do that's meaningful, potentially for your family, um, for a hobby? Um, because you, you do have to have something. And I'll be honest, like if I didn't have the golf as a hobby and like Michael and Megan, like they joke about it, like you would have never done this because I'm a workaholic. Like if you, if I did not have a hobby, I would not be making these types of like family decisions. And luckily for me, golf is a family thing. It's something I play with my wife. Like it probably isn't something I would pick up if it was like, you know, selfishly, I got, I played tw twice, a, twice a week without my wife. Like I just, we just don't have that bandwidth with the young daughter at home. So it's got to be something that drives that innovation. But I think the ideal week is one of the most powerful things that I do on a quarterly basis. And you have to true it up. It's not something you just do and it stays. And it's ideal in the sense that it's not something that's going to always happen. But if it happens 70% of the time, and what we find with most business owners is you don't have a plan of attack for your week, especially probably in the eye doctor world. You're at the, the mercy of people scheduling time on your schedule or your calendar. Um, but like same thing with as a sales rep here, like people book calls based on, you know, all of our marketing funnels and things like that. But we put boundaries on that is that I'm only going to see patients, you know, maybe you say it's only 75% of the time, you know, or I don't know how, like, and here's the times that I'm going to see patients. And here's the time that I'm not going to see patients. I'm going to do work. Or I'm going to lead my team, you know, things that you know, in, in your practice that you need to be doing. And as part of that, we teach the freedom compass, helping you get clear about your desire zone versus your drudgery zone, which desires what you're passionate and proficient in. The proficient doesn't just mean you're good at it. You're good. You're the best at it because it's driving profitability into your company. And what we, we see all the time, most people that come into our coaching program are spending less than 50% of their time in their desire zone. And they should be spending 80 to 90%, especially as the business owner. Otherwise you just got a high paying job is what we tell people. Like why get into business if you can't create the reality that you want as a business owner? Right. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge for not just, this is probably the, and I intuitively knew this, but I tell my friends after I go to these meetings, I'm hanging out with people who have nothing to do with, I, in fact, I think in my group, I'm the only, I think I'm the only doctor in my group, uh, maybe mm -hmm. more now since we combined one of our groups, but uh, there are people in healthcare in there, but they're not actually, you know, doing direct patient care. And it's amazing. We all have the exact same problems. Every <laughs> talk, it's always about our team and how much money we don't have to do the things that we want to do. And mm -hmm. the exact same conversation, whether you're in airlines or restaurants or, you know, or in eye care, it, it matters not. The conversation is exactly totally. And I think that's where it's a lot true. of limiting beliefs come in that we feel like, well, I just can't do that or they won't let me yep. do or, you know, those kind of things. And the first time I really started realizing how much control I really had over my life was when I sat down and figured out my rituals for my daily ritual mm -hmm. and then figured out my ideal week and how that fit into it. And suddenly there was all this time that I was wasting because I wasn't paying attention to it. Totally. And now I've focused on that time and I've had people say, God, your week is completely booked. I mean, you know, that seems crazy. And now you're thinking so regiment. I said, you have no idea how freeing this is. I don't have to think about mm -hmm. this anymore. It's just, mm -hmm. 
you know, and I, I can move on. In fact, if you look real carefully, you'll notice I have free time actually blocked in there. I can do whatever I want in that time, but mm-hmm. I've planned it instead of mm-hmm. taking that free time and just working some more, which is probably what I would have done. Totally. Yeah. We say what gets scheduled gets done. And right. what ends up happening is you never people don't schedule free time. But if you put constraints, you know, constraints drive that creativity. And if you can ask that question of like, what are the three or four things that I have like dreamt of doing? Or I know that I've like, you know, to get out of uh, trouble per se, or get out of this argument is like, I'll just tell my wife whatever she wants to hear that I'll do. And then I I really have no intention of doing it. Like, what if you actually were able to do that? Maybe I'm the only one that ever does that. Um, But what, what would be possible if, like those, I, I actually had the time to do that. Um, Cause I know in my marriage, it's always been like, you don't understand the pressure I'm under the time, you know, the commitments I have, all of that. Um, but the ideal week has been a game changer for me to be able to then, like I said, constraints drive that creativity. So, you know, one of the things you guys do is help busy business people who really don't think they have enough time or control of their lives to do that better. How would someone get in touch with you guys to talk about how to make their lives more enriched? Great question. Thanks. Um, so you just go to businessaccelerator.com and it's in essence a page that kind of details everything the business accelerator does. And there's a button there to schedule a call with what one of we call them business consultants. And it's a discovery call. It's a 45 minute zoom call where um, we do this with everyone, just because you have money to join a program. Um, we don't let everyone join. Uh, we want to make sure that it's a mutual right fit. And that's why we call it a discovery call is because our goal is to understand where you're at as a business and where you want to go. And does it fit with what we saw, what we call the double win? And what we would say is if you're a million dollar business and you're with us for three or four years in our coaching program, we help you scale to $10 million, but your relationships fall apart in the middle of it, your marriage, your kids, your health, like that's not a success story for us. Success story is winning at work and succeeding at life. And so on average, first year of the program, our clients see, see their revenue grow by 67% and work 11, hour, work less, work 11 hours less a week um, on the business. That's the average client. Some experience greater results than that, some less results than that. Um, but that's the average within the first year of the program. And our heart literally is that call to be super valuable where we really dig in to your business and your biggest challenges and where you wanna go and to help you determine if that's what we, if that's how, if that's what we can do to help you. And I would just say that's like super valuable call. It's not a sales call. It is, it's a mutual decision call. Um, and we would say sometimes like we point people to competitors because what you want to ultimately accomplish is not something that we can do. We will point you somewhere else. Um, but we believe in coaching and business accelerator is a coaching program. We believe in it. Talking about that incremental growth, talking about going to a, you know, paying, paying your golf instructor for things that you just don't have access to. You know, Michael, looking back when he's invested in coaching, you know, over his corporate careers, he said, coaching allows me to go further faster. He's like, I probably could have figured out a lot of the stuff that I paid coaches to do, but it would have taken me five years versus five days or five months, depending on how great that coaching is. So businessaccelerator.com, schedule a call, and our, our team would love to, to serve you and just help you understand if what we do is the right fit for you. And, and honestly, everybody, this really is a very enlightening phone call. If you do nothing more than just take some of their time and, and let them coach you through a 45 minute call, it is well worth your time uh, to do this. And the connection that you get out of it, uh, when you put this in, this is not, this is an investment in you. This is not an investment in your business. This truly is an investment in you. I've got a, uh, we've got a call, a colleague of ours, um, 
in eye care that went through Michael's program very early in the program, very early. And she credits Michael for basically saving her marriage because of how addicted she was to work. Mm-hmm. has become more profitable and she has become more focused on her family at the same time and revolutionized her life. And that actually wasn't even why I got into this. I, I got into this because 2019 was supposed to be my year of growth and uh, it had nothing to do with anything that I just needed to do something to enrich my life. And the challenge that we have for this year, um, I have to put an asterisk next to my growth this year. Uh, I had a whole month of not seeing anyone because of COVID, at the end of that month, we were down 27%. Uh, right now, we are 1% behind last year. I mean, wow. we've had astronomical months beginning in June. May was kind of average, but June was huge. July was huge. August was huge. September, which is a, usually a stinky month, was phenomenal. It's actually the second best month I've had this year. Wow. These are the kind of things that we've been able to take, the lessons that I've learned, and plan better and to do my business better. And that's what's really, I've gotten out of this year. And I'm not doing this as a commercial. I, I don't care if, my, my point to you is find something that will help you see the things you don't see. Find the things that you don't realize you're playing the ball too forward in your stance. That you mm-hmm. can get the ball straighter. Yep. Better for, as a good golf analogy. I really appreciate your time. Um, and today and so thank you so much for this and I I know my audience has gotten a ton out of this and uh, I can't wait to have you back again to talk about some other things that I had no time to get to today Ted thank you so much thanks Ted really appreciate it my pleasure question and this is sort of a really broad thing Chad what is it about Nashville Tennessee that draws somebody like Michael Hyatt Dave Ramsey uh, Don Miller John Acuff and all of these people that are in this same world of stuff what is it that drew everybody to to Franklin and Nashville Tennessee I I don't it's beautiful don't get me wrong and I know why my sister lives there but what is it that brought that got that connection to happen do you know well, I think taxes are a big part of it. Um, you know, that, that's uh, probably one. Uh, but honestly, I think it's community. Um, because we could, see every, we could see each of us as competitors. You know, I think there is some part of every, every piece of our business that overlaps. Um, we're the biggest champions of what Dave's doing, what Donald Miller's doing, what John Acuff's doing, traffic and funnels. I mean, there's so many people in this space. But we, we see it as it's not a zero sum game. The reality is we, we can't serve everyone and people need help. And we get together. I mean, I, I sit down with their you know, CEOs, CMOs, chief sales officers. I share the best thinking we're doing. I get that from them. And it's because we want them to succeed. 
and they want us to succeed and they don't see us as competitors and we are competitors but the reality is is we believe there are millions of people that need this help and the reality is we all have finite resources and we can't help everyone but if there's some overlap great if not no worries and so and i mean there's story after story of community playing out you know dave and michael get together once a quarter probably um, and just talk i mean they just michael and Dave just got together, I think three or four weeks ago, and it was in the middle of our strategic planning process. And Michael had four or five big ahas from that conversation with Dave that then drove some thinking in the next day of our strategic planning. And it'd be really easy to see them as competitors and not talk, you know, like stuff that happens in Silicon Valley or, you know, like it's cutthroat, you know, that's just not, that's not who we are. And so I think, yes, while taxes help, um, you know, I would say if Dave Ramsey's doing business in that state, uh, financially, you should be you should you should consider it. Uh, but second, I think it's it really is community and the desire to help people. And um, but Nashville's are also a hub of creativity. There's what people don't realize is there's seven or eight colleges here, so it's a great feeder for um, talent. Um, you know, so there's a you know obviously music. Uh, so there's a big creative scene as well. Um, healthcare is huge here. Um, you know, so, I mean, you can either, if you meet someone and they're in upper management and they're doing successful, they're typically involved in healthcare or music here in, in, in Nashville. Um, but people don't realize, I think healthcare is so, so big here, um, which is a good and a bad thing, but, uh, it is what it is.